If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one, zero. Hello, welcome to... Episode 152, Stephanie. Hey Money Clan, a very warm welcome to the Chain of Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Walsh. So Katie, awesome fun catching up with one of our friends here in Northern Virginia. Yeah, it was really nice, especially because I was too late at my side hustle last night that we missed going to sushi with everybody. Yeah, so... So it was at least nice to get to talk to Stephanie today. Right, yeah. So Stephanie also has a blog. Well, she's actually got two different sites, and we'll chat about that a little bit in the show itself. But she's really, really clued up on retirement funds and 401ks and IRAs and all that kind of stuff. So we got the opportunity today to sort of pick her brain and we asked a lot of questions that a lot of you guys in the Facebook group asked. Yeah, so- it it has really been nice having this whole retirement like mini series going. Last week we talked to Damian Lupo about QRPs. This week we talked to Stephanie about 401ks and she brought in some IRAs and really talked high level but made it very basic and easy and actionable to do. Right, yeah. So the reason we went this direction is our Facebook group. So if you guys haven't joined our Facebook group already, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash group. We would love it if you came and said hi. Let us know what you're working on. And if you'd like us to cover any other topic, let us know. We are open to doing anything. So definitely come and say hi. Let us know. Well, anything on money, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. You ready to dive right in? Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Stephanie is a mom, a wife, and a personal friend. She blogs at poorerthanyou.com, where she talks about all things money, where to start if you're clueless, and what to do if you want to invest or save. Although not in a financial career, she has a ton of experience, mainly starting where she ran out of money and had to drop out of college. 
Today, she sits with a net worth of over $100,000. Welcome, Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Hi, it's great to be here, and thank you. Yeah, so before we get dive into 401ks and everything, I wanted to ask a couple questions about Poorer Than You. I know you've been around for quite a while, but like, what is your backstory? Why did you actually start your blog? Well, I was in college and I learned about personal finance blogs from a friend when I was super broke and asking like, where do people get money? And he sent me a personal finance blog and it led me down a path where I figured out that I didn't have enough money to stay in college. I was going to hit a student loan cap and I was going to run out of money and I was going to have to leave. So I left. I dropped out of college and I started a blog. And that's how it all started was me saying, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to write about it the whole way because I think other people are in my scenario. They know nothing. They don't have access to jobs or money. And where do you even start if you're in that situation? And I'm going to figure it out. So I'll write about it so that other people can follow along. So when you were in that position, like what did your net worth look like back then? Do you remember the early numbers? I believe originally it started at negative 26,000 because I basically had student loans and I also owed my school money for dropping out. Like they charged my whole housing Wait, what? bill. what? Yes. They, they charged, yeah, my oh whole my. housing bill. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they were like, if you don't give us $600 right now, we're going to ruin your credit. They called me and said that to me. And I was no. like, okay, but I, I dropped out because I was out of money. Like, where do you think $600 comes from? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. And how, how old were you at this point? I was 20. Okay. And yeah. just for reference sake, can we ask how old you are now? Yeah, I'm 32. So 12 years I've been writing this blog and dealing with the financial fallout from dropping out of school. Well, to go from such an intensely negative number to over $100,000 in only 12 years really is quite astounding. Well, thank you. So I did eventually go back to school, which is part of the reason why my net worth actually continued to go down for several years as I managed to go back to school and figure out how to make up the difference between the student loan cap and what I needed. And but I still took out those extra student loans. So in the end, I think my net worth was about negative 40,000 a few months after graduation. And I had to work up from there. But it was 2009 at that time. So I was actually at the very bottom of the recession graduating and trying to find a job. So it's a little bit ridiculous, my <laughs> early story. Yeah, that, that definitely is challenging. And I'm sure with like, you know, that kind of background and going out of the recession and trying to then figure stuff out. You've obviously acquired a little bit of knowledge with 401ks, which is why we've got you on the show, um, sort of talking about, um, so like my question to you is, what are some of the options when you do move from one job to another? So, say you did get employed by a company, they all of a sudden went belly under and you know, like you then found a new job. What should you be doing with your 401k? I went through this exact scenario because I had a great job with a 401k. It was my dream job and they laid me off. And then I got another job um, actually working for a 401k administrator. So I was answering questions about 401ks for my job. And I also had this 401k of my own that I'm trying to figure out what to do with. So a few things you might want to consider. Sort of the easiest thing to do is to roll it into your new employer's 401k. 
that keeps everything consolidated in one bucket. You only have to worry about one 401k. You don't have some other 401k out there that you're trying to keep track of multiple logins and where's the money and what are the investment options. And it really just makes it very easy. You also have the option to roll your 401k into what's called an IRA, an individual retirement account. And that gives you more options, but there is a downside to that. One of the downsides is actually a legal downside. 401k assets are considered technically legally tied to your employer, whereas IRA assets are technically legally yours. Now, that sounds good, but if you're ever sued for anything, if you ever have a lawsuit against you, they can include your IRA balances in your personal assets that you're being sued for, and 401ks are more protected. So it can make a lot of sense not to do a rollover into an IRA. I didn't know that at the time. So I rolled over into an IRA and I kind of wish I hadn't because it's almost impossible to go back. So it's sort of a decision you want to weigh kind of carefully. But on the other hand, some 401k administrators have really crappy options. And if your old job and your new job have crappy options in your 401k, you may want to roll them to an IRA anyway. Now, the key with that, if you decide to go that way and roll it anyway, you want to, if you already have an IRA, do not roll your 401k into your existing IRA. This is another mistake I made. So you just get to learn from all my mistakes. Um, But (laughs) you don't want to do that because um, if you can keep them separated, you can make the legal argument that the stuff that's in the 401k that's just a rollover Um, IRA, I'm sorry, the stuff that's in just the rollover IRA and doesn't have any other IRA funds that you put in there yourself, commingled is what they call it, commingling. If they're not commingled, then you can make the legal argument that it's still, quote unquote, a 401k and it can be protected if you're ever sued. Now, uh, of course, it's kind of weird to be like, what if I'm ever sued? Again, I worry about that. But we live in a very litigious country in the US. So It's something to really take seriously just in case. Um, And it can also, it can come up in things like divorce and stuff like that as well. So it's good to keep things in separate, clear buckets so you can point to it and go, that one, that account there, that was a 401k. So what are the exact sort of steps you would take to do that? And I ask because I'm guilty of this. I do still have my existing 401k with my old oh. employer still. And and I'm and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I know I'm supposed to roll it over, but I'm not super sure how to. And I'm even as basic. I talked to the guy at my job and I was like, I have a, it's not a 401k for teachers. It's a 403b. Yep. But I was like, I have a 403B from my old school, from my old district that I was contributing for years. What do I do? And he was like, oh, you just log in and you do this and this and this. And he lost me by about the third step. And I was just like, okay, well, I'll get to that eventually one day. Yep. Yeah. So you're administrator of the company that runs your 403B or your 401K. They're basically the same thing. Um, but I'll, I'll say 403B here since that's what Katie has. But they pretty much mean exactly the same thing. It's just whether you work for a for-profit company or a non-profit like a school. Um, but you, the company that actually administrates it, which could be Fidelity or it could be a company like Vanguard, something like that, 
They are usually a lot more helpful with these things um, because they handle the actual logistics of it. And there's usually a helpline you can call. That's who I used to be. I was the person you called when you had questions like this, like, how do I roll it in? So they will have the information for you on how it works because it's all going to be a little bit different for every company. But generally, the thing you want to do is call the company that's getting the money. They want your business. They want your money. So the company that has the money right now is going to be less helpful because they don't they don't want you to take the money away. <laughs> so if you can talk that to whoever's sense. getting the money, they, they kind of want to do whatever they can to get you to roll it into their plan. So they can be very, very helpful in figuring it out. But it's usually not too difficult. It's usually a form that you fill out with the new 401k. And then they contact the old company and say, hey, this person's initiating a rollover. In some cases, you may need um, a notary or what's called a medallion signature, which is just a more special notary. Um, and so you may have to go see a notary or a bank about that. But usually it's one form and you just fill it out. And yes, some of them can do it online now. And it, it's usually not too hard. But the key, again, is to go to the place that's going to get the money in the end, because that's who's going to help you. Okay, so I have a little bit of a semi-specific question. Sure. We posted that we were going to be talking to you today. And I had a listener reach out and say, hey, I'm moving from America to Australia. And what do I do with my money that I've made in America? How am I going to roll that from America to another country? Do you have anything that you can kind of speak on for people in that kind of situation? Sure, but it's not going to be an answer that this person likes. So the answer is you pretty much can't. Um, the money that's in a 401k is it's sheltered from U.S. taxation. Um, and so if you're going to try and take it to another country um, and roll it into their retirement accounts in another country, the Uncle Sam is going to want to get his cut. So they are not going to just let you roll it in and continue to avoid the taxation on it. They're going to charge the tax. And if you're under age 59 and a half, they're going to charge a 10% penalty. So it's better to leave it and to take the money out in a different way. One thing that this person could do is, again, roll it to a traditional IRA. And then it is a little more flexible IRAs have a lot more reasons you can take the money out without penalty. One of them is an education exclusion. There's a certain amount of money that you can take out for qualified education expenses. And some international universities count as that. The, um, the IRS will consider them qualified educational expenses at certain international universities. So if the money's in an IRA, you might have a lot more flexibility at getting to it. But there's no easy way to just kind of roll it from a 401k or an IRA into um, something in another country. Because um, if you're going to take it to another country, Uncle Sam is definitely going to want to take his his cut there. That does make sense, unfortunately. That does make sense. So talking about um, traditional 401ks and IRAs, um, there's also this Roth option as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So the way that 401ks work when we're talking about traditional or IRAs, 
is that you put the money in and you don't pay federal and state tax uh, income tax on it when it goes in. And then it gets to grow without any taxes, usually when money's growing in a regular, uh, quote unquote, brokerage account or quote unquote, taxable account. Um, in a normal account like that, you would be taxed on the gains, things like capital gains or any dividends that are paid out. But in a traditional 401k, no taxes like that along the way. And then you finally do pay a tax bill when you take the money out. Um, but it's your normal income tax as if you were making that money from a job. So it's sheltered from tax when it goes in and while it's growing. And then you pay normal taxes when it comes out, but it's had all that time to grow. A Roth works in a similar way, but in reverse. You actually pay the taxes up front and then it grows tax-free, no capital gains, no dividends, taxes. And then when you take it out, it's tax-free at the end. So you pay taxes up front, grows tax-free, that's a Roth. Um, there are two different options and there are endless debates about which is better and little rules of thumb to try and help you. The way that I look at it is that I like to have diversity. Um, I like to have a little bit of Roth and a little bit of traditional. And then once you have a little bit in each, you, I, now that I do have a little bit in each, I will look at my tax situation each year and try to figure out this year will Roth or traditional be better for me. So the most people don't have Roth options in their 401k. A lot of people do now. It's becoming more and more common, but it wouldn't surprise me if some people went, I've never heard of this and looked at their 401k and said, nope, I don't have that. That's not a thing. So for most people, the way to get that diversity is to do the traditional 401k because it's your only option with your 401k and then to do a Roth IRA. And then you have that little mix so that when you get to retirement or whenever you're deciding to take your money out, you have options. You could take from the Roth, you could take from the traditional, you can choose. And, and when you can pick and choose like that, you can really adjust your tax situation. And a lot of people have figured out how to pick and choose like that and pay no taxes in retirement. And that's, that's the spot you want to be in, really, is paying no taxes. Yeah, for sure. So I know you have talked a little bit about this already, but I want to, and we've talked about it on the podcast, but uh, I'm a big believer that people have to hear things like over and over again before it really clicks. At least I'm that way. I am too. If a person's, if a person's job does not offer a 401k, what are some other options that they could go in regards to retirement. And I say this because I was actually talking to a person at my job yesterday and his specific position, I'm just making an, an assumption from his position, I don't think they offer a 401k or a 403b option. And sure. I've, I didn't feel like it was my place to start like, like money lecturing him while he was like, over like filing papers for me and everything. <laughs> sure. <But> what, <laughs> what are options for people who maybe their job right now doesn't have a 401k or a 403b or anything like that? What can they be investing in? So if you're in a situation like that where you work for a big organization or company and they have very strict rules about who gets a, access to a 401k and who doesn't, you don't have a lot of wiggle room with the 401k itself. And in that case, that's when you start looking at that individual retirement account. The IRA becomes one of your 
your best bets. The other thing to look at, and it's not actually a retirement account, but it functions so much like a retirement account that I just call it a retirement account. If your health plan is a high deductible plan, you can qualify to have an HSA. And what's nice about an HSA in this case, when you don't have a 401k, is that as long as your plan qualifies, you can open an HSA on your own. You don't have to do it through work as long as your health plan qualifies. And there is a really easy sort of yes, no question form online that I can give Dennis and Katie for the show notes. And you can just go to this form and answer some quick questions about your health plan. It'll tell you whether you can open an HSA. So that's something where you could put for um, for an individual, it's about $3,000 a year into it. And for a family, you can put about you can put $7,000 a year into it. And that with an IRA, which is now $6,000 a year, gives you a good amount of space to contribute to for a retirement plan if you don't have a 401k. But I will say this, if you are in a situation like a small company, your best bet might be to convince your company to get a 401k. They sound expensive for a company to run, but there are now companies that sell 401ks that are very inexpensive for a company, there's at least one that only charges $500 startup cost to the company and $40 a month to administrate for up to eight or up to five employees. I'm sorry, it's $8 a month. So, you know, companies sort of don't add 401ks because they think it's going to be an expensive benefit to offer their employees. But the technology has come so far that I think it's very cheap to administrate a 401k now. You may be able to convince your employer, and that's a good bet. The other situation I hear people say, well, I don't have access to a 401k, is the you know 44 million people in America who are in the gig economy. And that's actually a really good place to be in terms of 401k, because if you are any sort of self-employed, if you get a 1099 miscellaneous for basically any reason, if you're a contractor, if you drive for Uber, if you run your own business, if you're a freelance writer, if you do rover and you pet sit, anything like that, even if you only do it on the side, you're eligible to open a solo 401k on your own. So it's a little bit of work. uh, It's a little bit of paperwork to set up. But uh, it's one of those things where I know it can be done because I did it. It's not fun, (laughs) but it can be done. And then you have the ability to contribute all of your side gig or if you're self-employed as your main job, um, the same amount that a, a, an employee with a 401k had, plus you can match your own contributions. You know, 401ks, the employer can offer a match. And that's a really good thing to take advantage of if you have an employer. But if you are your own employer, even as a side hustle, you can match your own contributions and you can match your own contributions as much as you want, up to a total of 54000 a year. Um, there are restrictions on that. And I won't get too far into the weeds on it because, of course, it's it's hard to just throw a bunch of numbers on a podcast. But the point is not how much you contribute exactly, but the fact that you can and you shouldn't let the fact that you are self-employed stop you from having a 401k. Yeah, and that definitely makes a lot of sense for a lot of people that are living in that sort of entrepreneurship wo- realm where they feel like they don't necessarily have options. So, yeah, what. Well, And it makes a lot more sense, especially when you throw in like Uber drivers or people who are pet sitting or stuff like that, because I feel like that's 
so many people nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's exactly why I opened it. So I do a lot of freelance writing. And of course, I have the blog and that's all side gig income for me. And I was actually able to put pretty much everything I earned from freelance writing into the 401k. So I was able to, for the first time in my life, max out the amount I was allowed to contribute to a 401k because all I did was put everything I was allowed to put into it from the side gig and then that's use my really cool. um, yeah. and, <laughs> and so that's a really good option. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was great. That was last year. Um, <laughs> But awesome. then this year, I reinvested in the business a lot. So I actually operated as a loss in 2018. So 2017, I maxed out my 401k, and then I reinvested in the business in 2018. But it's an option, and it's a really good option, again, if your day job doesn't offer a 401k, but you are considering doing a side gig or you already have a side gig, then you have a way to do it as a, as a 401k and have retirement savings outside of your job. That's really thrifty. So um, I also wanted to bring up the Money Middletons. You have recently started a curation type platform. Do you want to talk about it a bit? Sure. So because I've always operated in this realm of being poorer than you, I've always heard the cries of people of, I can't do this because I don't make enough money, or I can't do that because I make enough money. And believe me, I've always understood because I've been there. And I still am relatively low income for the area that I live in. I live uh, in the same area that Dennis and Katie do in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. It's a very... It's a very expensive area, very high income area. It's actually the highest median income area in the country. The top four out of five income counties are in Northern Virginia. So we're just surrounded by high incomes. And I have always felt like there's a lot of great financial advice out there when you make enough to take advantage of all these things, you know, things like maxing out your 401k seem impossible when you're on just a a regular middle income. And I know that there are a lot of people speaking to that because most people are in the middle. And so most of the people writing are writing from the middle perspective, but it seems to get drowned out on the internet sometimes by the higher income stuff because Sometimes a lot of the fun stuff, you can't do it until you get to a high income and the stuff people want to talk about and things with weird names like backdoor Roth IRA and the mega backdoor Roth. That's all kind of fun to talk about. It kind of drowns out the practical, useful advice for people who make just a modest or middle income. So I wanted to seek out the great blogs and podcast episodes. I'm going to start that over since I ate my words there. (laughs) Um, I wanted to seek out the great blog posts and podcast episodes and the YouTube videos that are really focused on things that people can do with a middle income. So I started a site that just highlights those and shares those posts. And we share three posts a day, Monday through Thursday, and then a roundup on Friday that's based on a theme. So Our most recent themes, we had a theme around financial abuse that was very popular because it's such an important topic. We did a fun theme about what to do when you get engaged and how to combine your finances. We did that around Valentine's Day. 
we did a roundup of all the reviews and interviews for Tanya Hester's new book um, that I know you guys had her on the podcast um, last year talking about um, making work optional. And she's got a book out now. So we rounded up all those great episodes and everything to put it in one place and just make it easy if you're on a middle income to find this stuff. I love that, especially uh, I love that you bring that up now because just yesterday I was talking to one of my girlfriends at work and because we do live in such a an area where it seems like everybody makes so much money and then me and Mm -hmm. her are like sitting in her classroom you know kind of scheming some of the free like um like little chips and everything that our kids get and everything and we're just like talking she was like it's so hard and she's a single parent And she was like, it can be so hard to live here and not make at least $100,000 a year. And we were just like going back and forth and talking about it. So I'm really glad that you, A, have made the money middle things because there are a lot of people who are in that boat even when they live in an expensive area. It can be really hard and it can be hard anywhere. You know, we're sort of caught up in the area we live in where the median household income is more than $100,000 here. But anywhere, living in the middle can feel like a squeeze because it just seems like so many things are designed to part you with your money. And, you know, trying to balance everything that you're supposed to do and everything you need to do with the few things you want to do can be a real struggle. And there is a lot of great information out there. But again, it can feel overwhelming. It's so hard to sift through the noise and to sift through the stuff that doesn't apply to you. And I just wanted to make it a little bit easier. Well, thank you for doing all the sifting. (laughs) (laughs) I get confused. I come on the podcast with the hard words. (laughs) Money Clan, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Money Clan, if you are looking to get your retirement in order, think about setting up a QRP. We recently interviewed Damien Luper here on Chain of Wealth, and he definitely gave us a very different insight into how much money you can actually save for retirement. Turns out, as we spoke about in this episode, you can save up to $56,000 a year if you open what's informally referred to as a qualified retirement plan. So what we've done is we've teamed up with Damien Lupo and you can get a free copy of his book. It will be shipped directly to you. So you're actually going to have something physical in your hand and you can start looking into it. If you'd like to get the book, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash QRP. That'll redirect you. You can grab a book and definitely enjoy it and figure out if this is something that you're interested in. That's chainofwealth.com slash QRP. All right, Stephanie. So I want to know, what does your personal saving and retirement plan look like? What are you investing in? What are you doing? Go for it. Well, you know, my big thing now is really to focus on taxes and to reduce taxes as much as possible legally, of course, um, using my solo 401k and just anything that I can do to learn how the tax code works and to save. And once I get my money into a tax advantaged vehicle, I 
very simple. I keep it so simple. I do low cost index funds. I'm very aggressive in the stock market. So I'm just picking low cost index funds that are 100% stocks. I don't really get into bonds unless I have money that I really want to protect. And I don't make it any more complicated than that. So I max out my tax advantage accounts as much as I can. I put them in low cost index funds and then I don't touch it. I'm pretty boring that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We like boring around here. Yep. You know, the thing is that at the end of the day, retirement just comes down to consistency, you know, and if you're finding something that works for you, that, that that's already the hardest part is like figuring out what you need to do consistently. Yeah. And I think the hardest part can be just getting started. You know, obviously, Definitely. one of the big things I hear the most is I don't have any extra money to contribute to my retirement accounts. And I absolutely get being in that place and feeling like that. But there's one great thing about retirement accounts and these tax advantage accounts, especially if we're talking about the traditional ones versus no, not the Roth, is that when you contribute money to a retirement account, let's say you're contributing $50. Well, because you're not being taxed on that money, you only need $40 to contribute $50, basically, um, for a lot of people after you take out all the taxes and everything. So if you can come up with an extra, say, $40 a month, um, when you get your actual paycheck, it'll only be, you know, it'll only be $40 left, but there'll be $50 more in your retirement account. So if you can do, again, you know, sort of going back to the side gigs, if you do one night of driving for Uber or one night of delivering pizzas or whatever it is, you can usually come up with that in a day or so. So if you can do that once a month, take one day, you can contribute to those retirement accounts and that's all it takes to get started. And if you can up that number a little bit over time, great, but at least you got started because that's the hardest part. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. So what are you reading or what are your favorite books right now that you can recommend to somebody? There's a few books specifically on this topic that I really like to recommend. If you want a simple, simple approach to investing and make it very uncomplicated the way that I do, there's a book called The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, and that just takes a very simple approach. But if you're interested in learning a lot more of the nitty gritty with stocks and bonds and investing in retirement accounts, there's a more in-depth book. It's a little dry, but it's very, very good called The Boggleheads guide to investing. Um, Bogleheads. Dang it, I did it again. (laughs) Let me redo that. I knew I would do it. I was like, don't say it wrong, Stephanie. Um, (laughs) Try and wind that back. If you want something... Okay, here. There we go. If you want something that's very in-depth and covers specifics with stocks and bonds and retirement accounts... There's a book called The Bogleheads Guide to Investing. It's a little bit dry, but it really covers things very well. And if that all sounds super overwhelming, don't worry. Again, The Simple Path to Wealth makes it very uncomplicated and just tells you what you need to know. But if even that, if you're like, uh, investing, I'm not sure I'm ready to get there. There's one more book I would recommend, which is Kristen Wong's Get Money. It's laid out like a video game. It's wonderful. And it just covers the basics of money in a really accessible, fun way. And I can't recommend that book enough. 
I love that. So, Stephanie, do you have a favorite quote you like to live by? Oh, my goodness. I knew you were going to ask this, and I overthink everything. So, <laughs> um, I completely... <laughs> All right. I mean, if you want, Dr. Seuss's birthday is today, actually. And I know you have a a son, so you can do like all the places you'll go or something. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, I wish I knew that book better. (laughs) It's so funny (laughs) that we haven't done any Dr. Seuss with him. I'm, you know. Well, this is me completely prepared on 401ks. And then you ask me about a quote (laughs) and I'm like, "Uh, yeah, let me bungle this part. Yep. It's fine. So you do. Okay. Go. The simple answer to that is I really don't. I tend to go very in depth on things and I don't do real well with sort of the quippy little quotes and in life, but you know, a long time ago, I sort of decided that I was going to live my life with no regrets. So I would have said no regrets was my quote to live by when I was like a, a teenager and in college. And I've gone completely the other way on that, in that I think if you try to live a life with no regrets, you'll, you won't take very many risks. And I think you have to take risks in life. And you have to make peace with the fact that you're going to regret some things. So if I had to pick a quote, I would say, you're going to regret some things. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I love that. And it goes right along with who we spoke to last week, which was Damien Lupo, that we also are friends with. And he straight out said he was like, when you fail and make a mistake, that's where the real learning starts. And that's where the fun really begins. Absolutely. And it's hard for me because I'm a person who doesn't like to make mistakes. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's from all those years of being like, no regrets. But (laughs) it is really important. And it's something that I'm constantly working on is like, how can I live and take a few calculated risks and fall on my face sometimes and make it be okay? Stephanie, we've absolutely loved hanging out today. Do you have any other last parting piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. I have a great piece of advice on 401ks. If you're ever confused about your your own 401k at work and how it works and anything like that, 401ks are required by law to offer something called a summary plan description. And it's by law required to be written in plain English, layman's terms, very simple. So if you're ever confused, just ask your HR person for a copy of the summary plan description. And hopefully they actually know what that means, but they're, they're required by law to have it. So if they can't produce it to you, just, you know, tell them they're in violation of the law and they need to give it to you. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it makes 401ks a lot easier when you know, oh, I can get the summary plan description. I can read something in plain English and then maybe, you know, I can get this answer to my question and just know what I'm doing. Well, I think you just gave everybody listening homework for when they get to work. Yeah, I know. Go to your HR person and ask for the document. But, you know, the good news is a lot of uh, companies just put it like on the website or in your employee handbook or whatever. So you may not even have to talk to anybody. Even yep. better. <laughs> Money Clan, we've been here with Stephanie. You can check out her website, poorerthanyou.com and moneymiddletons.com. Definitely check out those two resources. They're absolutely 
fantastic. So, Kate, absolutely loved catching up with Stephanie and some really great advice in this episode. I love how she makes it seem like it's easy and it's approachable because I think a lot of people don't become actively involved in their 401k then because it's a bit of an intimidating thing to, to start if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Yeah. A lot of people just put it off and sort of assume that, you know, if the stars will align and one day they'll mm-hmm. be able to retire. And I think if you really start taking a bit of an active approach to where your money's at and like how you can start moving money around and doing some tax strategies and stuff like that, you can really get ahead and like end up saving yourself a ton of money. Yeah. And like we said after the show, when we were talking to her, it doesn't have to be hard and you don't need like three MBAs and a finance degree and everything else. Right. Everyday regular people can do it. So anyway, I wanted to throw out, uh, if you are not following us on Instagram yet, be sure to be following us at Chain of Wealth. And that's all I have for today. Yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.